The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey everybody, it's your charitable wizard, Holden McNeely. And it is I, your miserly bruiser, Jake Young. Don't touch my gold! Ugh, why do you have slime on you today, Jake? It, it keeps me slick, so you get your filthy hands <laughs> off of me. My gold! Why would I put my filthy hands anywhere near you? And today, we're doing a, an episode that's been requested by fans, I think, for some time. Mm-hmm. They could not be more perfect for this here motherfucking show. Of course, I'm talking about the man... The myth, the legend, Weird Al Yankovic. My burrito. Hey there, give me that, my burrito. I'm going to eat it maybe with a bunch of Cheetos. I I've like heard it. so many. Is my, that, that's not a, is that a? No, but like, I'm, I'm like this generation's Weird Al, I'd like to think. <laughs> no, 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 no. What you meant to say was taco. One of my favorites, dude. I've been relishing in Weird Al for the past few days, just soaking it all in, just having all these memories flashback because I was definitely a big Weird Al fan Mm -hmm. as a kid. And then Weird Al went kind of away for a while. I think Weird Al kind of like... Um, uh, was like maybe not so cool mm-hmm. or whatever in college, and then like he magically got super cool again like five years. It's not ago. magic. We're gonna go into this in this episode, but Weird Al is such like a perfect virus yes. that like his success is inevitable. He like he's literally a natural byproduct of the environment around him. It's it's pretty incredible how much he was able to reinvent himself, use uh, the the burgeoning art form of videos. Uh, to, to become a, a huge household name and then re-reuse the burgeoning uh, <laughs> uh, influence of, of online videos to, to a compl- re-re-re-re-re-create himself uh, like five times Hold over. It. Would you say that this is a podcast about nerd culture? I would say this is a podcast about bird culture, but then I showed up with all the, yeah, right. I showed up with all those Robin facts, and you were like, "What are we doing here, buddy?" And I was just like, "I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I know a lot about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles." And you were just like, "All right, fine, we'll do an episode on that." Weird Al Yankovic is quite possibly like the most pure. Like distillation of what fucking nerd culture yes, is that I've ever. I don't think we'll ever have something more pure than this because as we go into his life story, as we go into like his entire shtick and how it's evolved over forty fucking years. Yeah, uh, this is like Weird Al Yankovic is like savvy and intelligent and uh, creative and 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 has a positive energy about him, mm-hmm. and he exists. Entirely separately of all the cool people partying and fucking and doing drugs and rebelling. It, it totally and and uh, uh, you know it's just been phenomenal, especially in more recent years. All of these you know self-proclaimed comedy nerds have really boosted him back up so hard and so wonderfully. Like 
with podcasts like Comedy Bang Bang and uh, things like that, you know, that really kind of brought him back. It was like all these people have a huge love for Weird Al and it finally became like okay again to fucking be like totally gooey about Weird Al and now he's like a comedy lord god. I mean, it's, everybody it's, respects the fuck out of him. It's you almost know? as if like there's a certain age, maybe let's say, I don't know, 11 through 15 in yeah. which you notice your friends are like maturing and changing but you're still kind of like a goofy kid at heart yeah and the music that they listen to doesn't speak to you because you're not really about what like uh, mainstream music is is really throwing down but comments on that music really do speak to you and being able to kind of step back and either um change all the words to food lyrics or <laughs> literally call out the songs for like <laughs> being, being unintelligible you know like i mean it's 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 all so wonderful for anybody who is a nerd at heart because like yeah okay Maybe you don't know what it's like to give up everything you have for the woman you love in your hot rod car on a Saturday night, <laughs> swerving through the streets, drunk off your ass, ready for fucking Thunder Road because you don't care if you live or die. Maybe that doesn't speak to you, but like bread is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Hence where Weird Al comes in. And he initially comes in uh, born in Downey, California, raised in Linwood, uh, is the only child of Mary Elizabeth uh, and Nick Yankovic. The father of uh, Yugos was of Yugoslavian descent. He served in World War II, um, and he believed that the key to success was doing for a living whatever makes you happy. And and con- often reminded his son of this philosophy. Um, he uh, he he was sort of a he he went into kindergarten, I believe, a year ahead of kids, mm-hmm. and. Um, and so, therefore, he was like, you know, uh, deemed essentially, uh, as he put it, my classmates seemed to think I was some kind of rocket scientist. So I was labeled a nerd early on, and I loved reading that because it's like, okay, he's like the real deal. Like he's he's like OG, straight up a nerd. So it's um, not even about because here's here's something like let's let's fucking crack open our brains and like get Freudian about this shit. It's not even that he was like kind of kind of smart or like loved math. It was literally he was the only child of two aging immigrant parents <laughs> who like uh with like a weird gregarious dad and an incredibly uptight religious nervous mother so he was like the golden boy the sheltered child case in point too of like the nerd bent the 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 he he had his first accordion lesson um the day before his sixth birthday and it was a door to door salesman traveling around town <laughs> giving either accordion or guitar lessons mm. and of course his parents chose the accordion because uh, it's a more solitary instrument <laughs> and he wasn't good at making friends and they figured there should be at least one more accordion playing Yankovic in the world of course referring to Frankie of course Yankovic. referring to Frankie of course Yankovic. the America's Pope famous King. pornographer Frankie Yankovic <laughs> he's a uh, Frankie Yankovic a Grammy winning musician he was a uh, uh, born to Slav- Slovene immigrant parents raised in Ohio he released over 200 recordings and his parents met in a lumber camp. Uh, hit the big time with two platinum singles, Just Because and Blue Skirt Waltz. Platinum, Frankie Yankovic's Platinum polka singles. <laughs> Fla- Frankie the Yankovic. past is another continent. <laughs> Frankie Yankovic uh, uh, was um, a big influence to uh, Weird Al in terms of his uh, accordion playing. Um, and of course, uh, one of my favorite things about Weird Al in, in school, he was like a member of all these clubs, right? Of course he is, um, including the yearbook. He wrote uh, most of the captions in the yearbook. Mm-hmm. 
And they even formed, he even with some friends formed the Volcano Worshippers Club, which is, he put it, which uh, did absolutely nothing. We started the club just to get an extra picture of ourselves in the yearbook. I love the name of that, Volcano Worshippers Club. So um, he graduated as valedictorian of his class in 1975. At age 16. He got into high school at age 12, graduated at age 16. So he's already, he's just. Just straight, just a nerd ass nerd. Playing an accordion. He never got to be a teenager. He never got to like he like went immediately from the fucking bubble boy youth with his mom watching over his shoulder uh weird al talks about how like she would literally like park outside of the school and watch him with binoculars during <laughs> pe days to make sure he didn't get hurt <laughs> he then goes and becomes like the weird child genius in high school mm-hmm. and like so so what i'm trying to say is weird al is not Fuck music. Yeah. And the origins of his non fuckiosity is is ingrained in his very life. He's like the purest realist dude ever. My 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 uh friend and I used to laugh like we were both really big into Weird Al. Um, and we used to laugh about how the there only it was back when behind the music was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And there are literally only two behind the musics that aren't like insanely <laughs> fucked up. And one is Weird Al and the other one is Huey Lewis in the news, <laughs> where they were both uh documentaries where they were just like, Yeah, we um Saved our money well and had a good life, and uh, you know things have been pretty topsy tipsy topsy for us. I don't know, you know. It was like it's like the most boring behind the music ever because there's just like only good times for the most part. Um, so other influence he's got as he's growing up: Myron Florin, an accordion accordionist on the Lawrence Welk show between 1950 and 1980. He was referred to as the Happy Norwegian. He was obsessed with Elton John's "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road," and uh, the importance of that is that that is how he. Learned to play rock and roll on the accordion so well. So he was actually kind of all of these sort of things that ended up coming into play later on with his parodies were really kind of starting very uh, early for him. He was also a big fan of Tom Lehrer, um, whose early work included Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. He was a, he was a novelty song uh, musician. Uh, Stan Freeberg, another comedian musician. Spike Jones, not the one you're probably thinking of. <laughs> Spike Jones and his City Slickers, uh, who toured around uh, as the musical Depreciation Review. They were another, like, goofy joke song band. Alan Sherman. Hello, Mata. Hello, Fada. Here I am at. Camp yep. Granada. Granada. Yep, Camp Alan Sherman. Is very <laughs> entertaining. And we're told that someday soon it might stop raining. <laughs> Jews are genetically superior in comedy. All right, please. <laughs> Shel Silverstein, the poet and musician, I think we're all familiar with his work. I bet he'll get an episode on this show one day. Frank Zappa, uh, the guitarist prodigy with a comedic bent. Um, and then, of course, just like Mad Magazine, Monty Python, every other thing that nerds so who wait, like comedy were there, into how, at a young age. How did a young nerd and like Riddell Yankovic... Uh, get into such weird acts like Monty Python and Alan Sherman and there Spike Jones. was a show. And if you know anything about Weird Al, you probably already know this, but there was a show called The Dr. Demento Radio Show. Barrett Eugene Barry Hansen created the persona of Dr. Demento in 1970 while working at Pasadena Station KPPC-FM. He included offbeat novelty songs in with the rock oldies that he was uh, doing his own show, uh, uh, had it already on his own show, and people loved the novelty songs so much that he just went full-time with those and kind of dropped any of the old, uh, any of the uh, old rock oldies from his, from his bit. Um, 
He uh, was born in Minnesota, the son of an amateur pianist. Started his vast record collection at age 12 after college. He was a roadie for the band Spirit and lived with them for a while. Okay. He was also a roadie for Canned Heat before he got into radio. Then he was hired as an A&R man for Specialty Records. And then Warner Brothers Records. That was all before he got into the radio stuff. Dr. Demento was still on the air when I was a kid. And I remember loving Weird Al Yankovic and loving like a mm-hmm. bunch of other comedy records. And being like, oh, I got to find a way to get to this, get you know, listen to this thing. But he wasn't like carried in my in you know my radio uh, market. Mm. But like on vacations, like I would find out where to find him and I would listen to him. And let me tell you, better in small doses. You can only <laughs> hear so many rubber chicken jokes <laughs> before you're just like, you know what, I'm good. <laughs> I just remember like fish heads, fish heads, fish heads. Like I remember all of all of uh, that kind of stuff. I, and, and at the same a lot time, of it was like not even explicit. Like there was explicitly comedy uh, records, but and then, then there just was weird stuff. Yeah, yeah just, just genuinely. And I mean, the first uh, song that uh, Weird Al got on the Doctor Moose show was kind of like that. It was just kind of a weird song. Um, weird Al literally says. If there hadn't been a Dr. Demento, I'd probably have a real job now. Weird Al was incredibly influenced by the Dr. Demento show, and then it became the Dr. Demento show that would eventually break him uh, out on the mainstream, not break him emotionally or physically. <laughs> uh, Demento... Just fucking Demento just grabbed him by his arms and just snapped him in two. I'm not sure how this even would come to be, but Dr. Demento spoke at Yankovic school. Um, he, a 16-year-old Yankovic gave him a homemade tape of his songs. There were parodies and originals performed on accordion in his bedroom. And the first song on that tape was Belvedere Cruisin' about his family, Plymouth Belvedere. It was played on the show. Demento uh, said, Belvedere Cruisin' might not have been the very best song I ever heard, but it had some clever lines. I put the tape on the air immediately. Uh, can we get a little taste of Belvedere Cruisin'? Now, you're listening to uh, the kind of shoddy recording quality here. And this is because he recorded it on an 8-track player in his own house. Yeah. And the joke is he's, like, cruising, like a Beach Boys kind of, like, Little Deuce Coop thing, but his neighborhood's very boring. So even from the beginning... The, uh, the humor that he found the most funny was juxtaposing his mundane life with the extravagances of yes. pop music. But should be a very reoccurring theme. Uh, here's, here's an interesting thing. I stumbled upon a 1985 article uh, interview in Spin Magazine where, like, it has this very, like, Rolling Stone, like, music magazine attitude where it's like, the author is like, I was cruising down like with all the ladies at my favorite dive bar when in walks in a scrawny kid that I couldn't have been old. Like, you know, like he's like, I'm super cool. I'm a music journalist that, you know, uh, what's the uh, what was the uh, uh, Cameron movie like? Uh, uh, almost famous. Yeah, it's like very yeah. almost famous yeah, yeah. kind of vibe. But um, apparently uh, Weird Al had been sending in tapes a bunch to Dr. Demento ah. and Dr. Demento, uh, you know, wrote back to him and said, you have to. You know, uh, I believe the exact um, the exact quote was, uh, "There's a lot of potential, but only 39 cent artists use 39 cent video cassettes for their recordings." <laughs> 
Very nice. So I guess he got him to step up his game a little bit there. He actually started performing in local coffee shops uh, at his college campus. He went to California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo. God, Uh, California names are great. I know, right? And he got to get his bachelor's degree in architecture, interestingly enough. Um, Uh, Yeah, it's uh, his guidance counselor is like, well, you're creative, but you're also good at math, so you should be an architect. Gotcha. Even though creative and good at math would, and and already plays the would immediately be you should do <laughs> comedy songs. <laughs> I mean, I kind of you know like you might as well call it to be like, oh, there's a good career in degenerate heroin abuse. <laughs> what uh, I, w- I would love mind. to be a bad uh, college, uh, Can- a high school counselor. That'd be so much fun. I would do nothing but you should get good at graffiti. <laughs> I would just freebase in front of them and just be like, money's a lie. <laughs> just <laughs> don't hurt nobody. <laughs> Uh, Yankovic said of his coffee shop performances, it was sort of like amateur music night, and a lot of people were like wannabe Dan Fogelbergs. They'd get up on stage with their acoustic guitar and do these lovely ballads, and I would get up with my accordion and play the theme from 2001, (laughs) and people were kind of shocked that I would be disrupting their mellow Thursday night folk fest. If if I could, a million dollars just to be in a coffee shop back then for one of those performances. Here's here's the thing. You see all these like beatniks like all pissed off. Shit. Oh, then you've been to enough. Here's the thing: you're in fucking Murder Fist. You were the oh, weird yeah. act that, that blew open the doors at a at an open mic. That I've seen true. you. <laughs> we were young men at the time, but I saw it happen. Yeah, it was definitely fun to be like the insane. I was like, all right, is everybody ready for some insanity? You know, like to break up this fucking snooze fest. It was know? like it was the more serious a music mic was, the more extreme like my act would get if I had to like get up for them. Yeah, just because I wanted to just do something to shatter. The, the awful, boring fog that it settled over. And, of course, like most other uh, music and comedy nerds back in college, he would end up becoming a DJ at his college radio station. Actually, other students during this time started nicknaming him Weird Al, mm-hmm. and he took the name on professionally, as he put it. Um, now, here's is, the thing. That wasn't an affectionate nickname. Yeah, it was exactly, right? He that was, was them picking the, on him, right? Yeah, they were absolutely picking on him because he was gawky. He did have, like, weird outbursts. He was... Like he didn't, he was not properly socialized in any way whatsoever for a college life. Right. He was younger than everyone. He was like genuinely like, hey, there goes fucking Weird Al over there. Like uh-huh. it's, it's, it was not a term of endearment. But that's a, such a great message. I mean, take something like that and turn it around and make your success out of it is so wonderful. Uh, he released his first recording, Take Me Down, uh, on an LP. It was a benefiting uh, economic opportunity, the Economic Opportunity Commission of San Luis, mocking famous landmarks in the area so yet again we've got this sort of like domesticated kind of comedy about like boring Mm. small town uh like white america essentially he was still submitting songs to uh dr demento and doing his uh radio show which Mm -hmm. uh had a lot of you know uh, original comedy bits uh he would um get mandates from the studio from the uh radio heads to like play certain records as part of their programming and he would fuck with them by like turning up the pitch or like turning them down like he just was having as much fun as he could but it wasn't until my bologna though he would really become a big hit on the demento show my sharona by the knack was rocking the charts it's 19 19- <laughs> It's 1979 Fast Times Hard Ladies And you've got You gotta get out there And hit the streets He records Drive your car real fast Crash into the toughest lady You can find (laughs) 
Not a dent on her. <laughs> Women with just spikes coming out of their shoulders, <laughs> out of their shoulder pads. You know, it was that era. Uh, uh, and hair and- made of diamonds. <laughs> Got to get a hold of some of that hair. Be a millionaire if you got a hold of a woman's hair in 1979. Can't chip it too hard. <laughs> um, he records my Bologna in the radio station's bathroom that he was working at. It was a, a great echo chamber for acoustics for him. Um, and you can really hear that echoiness. Um, and uh, Demento plays it on his show. It gets a great response. And uh, Al actually ended up meeting uh, Dub Doug Figer, lead singer of The Knack, after one of his shows. And uh, Figer actually suggests to Capitol Records Vice President Rupert Perry that the single be released. And it was released with the song School Cafeteria as a B-side. Weird Al, from that, gets a six-month recording contract. And that is the opening moment of his career. That contract, by the way, worth $500. <laughs> was it? Yeah. That is amazing. Really? I mean, back in the day, it's yeah. back in the day money, but yeah. s- still, it's paltry. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, and I mean, at this point, he hasn't even quit his fucking job yet. I mean, he's working. I uh, I don't know if he's st- when he starts working in a mail room, but I mean, he ends up getting a job in a mail room. I mean, this is a dude. This is an artist still, you know, working day jobs, not like, you know, actually. But he has this record contract now. And, and then um, the real big breakout for him that really kind of boosts him over to get like, um, I think Everything kind of coming comes yeah. out of this moment is uh, another one rides the bus. Now, uh, the My Bologna single did not sell well. Uh, it just, you know, it was very hard to market because no one had ever done anything. What do you mean it was hard to market? It was literally the first time anyone had really tried to do that. Um, but he was still a big hit on Dr. Demento. And so he was literally sitting in as a guest kind of in like the peanut gallery uh, of a Dr. Demento recording. And was like excited to be like, oh, can I share my newest song? And um, he, uh, Dr. Mendoza said, oh, yeah, sure. He then r- t- grabs another novelty musician. Uh, what's, uh, who's, what, John Bermuda Schwartz? John Bermuda Schwartz. John, in uh, a nickname Bermuda Schwartz. Uh, he met him while practicing Another One Rides the Bus outside the sound mm. booth. John Bermuda Schwartz says, hey, I'll tell you what. Why don't I, I'll just beat on this, uh, I think it was. Um, it was the box to his accordion. Right, it was the accordion case. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, I'll just, I can play drum percussion for you on this accordion mm. case. He says, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, and uh, so uh, they uh, record the song together in studio. In studio, the, and, and it went. It, it, the yeah. audience loves it. Uh, crazy people are right? begging Doctor Demento for a recording of it. Other DJs ripped, like taped the Doctor Demento show and played that. It's doing amazingly. And here's something um, that honestly surprised me. Uh, you can find footage of Weird Al Yankovic doing an appearance on the Tom Snyder show at the time, the, yes. like the Tomorrow Show, I think it was called, and. This is this is something that like we should have mentioned. Weird Al is a fucking showman. He puts 110% up there when he's performing. Uh Meg, if you can play just a, a little bit of that uh performance. Absolutely. He is he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. <laughs> That is not the right song. Oh, no 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 wait, play it out. Oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's like it's like it's like Forrest Gump instead of Lump. That is uh not the song. Mike. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a great song though. It's amazing. Amazing track. Can we do uh yeah, um uh another one rides the bus. Riding in the bus down the boulevard and the people He is like already sweating. Yeah. And that's John Pierre shorts going, no. And he's also playing the um. Look out. 
What is that instrument? The fucking kazoo. And again, they, like just the image of Freddie Mercury on a bus. Yeah, it's so surreal and funny. And also, I mean, you have to realize, like, what, what's the name of the host again? Um, Snyder. He kind of like he's trying to be funny or whatever, but mm. like in the lead up to that song, he like throws a couple of knocks Weird Al's way, mm-hmm. kind of talking about like kind of making like shitty jokes about how he's like a bad musician mm-hmm. or whatever, or like a clown. I think you know, and it's like I, obviously no one's supposed to take him seriously, but like really nobody takes him <laughs> seriously. Like they really think this is like his one thing he's ever gonna do is Freak this of the song. Week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's just put this crazy guy up here. Um, and and he really got a lot of that kind of vibe from people. Um, real quick note about John Bermuda Schwartz. He was born in Chicago, grew up in Phoenix he, to a musical family. The father played accordion. The mother was a singer and a piano player. And his brother is session guitarist and producer Richard Bennett. Um, John Bermuda Schwartz has played drums for every Weird Al concert since 1981, except for three shows during 2003's Poodle Hat Tour, during which he had a minor illness. That is fucking bananas. He's also known as the official band historian and he and he's the guy to go to. He literally he keeps intricate collections of photos and um, you know, recordings and all this stuff. He's like the go-to guy if you're trying to like do a thing, like maybe do a documentary or something on Weird Al. Um, and he keeps meticulous notes about all the concerts. He's literally like you you he he's like the the man behind Weird Al. Like yeah. he 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 is so hugely important to Weird Al's musical career that I just wanted to definitely um make sure to get that uh statement down. Um so now uh Yankovic goes on tour in 1981 as part of Dr. Demento's stage show. Uh and at a Phoenix Arizona nightclub this manager uh, is blown away by Yankovic's set. He approaches him afterwards um, to put together a full band and go full time. That would be Jay Levy. Um, and he is a, another integral person to the career of Weird Al. He forms up uh, with a bassist named Steve Jay and a guitarist named Jim West. And days later, they are the opening act for the band Missing Persons. Then Weird Al. Missing Persons, by the way, is like an intensely sexual, like (laughs) disco, like early 80s space. Like so, like how would that show have even? I like half of half of the Missing Persons act was like check out this hot front like lead singer in her like lady like future lady clothes. Uh huh. And like the opening act was a squirrely tie dyed Hawaiian shirted fuzzy. Monster man. I don't actually. You know what? I don't think is he rocking the Hawaiian shirts at this point. I mean, he's definitely. Yeah, I think so. Uh, as part of just and just tackiness, he mm-hmm. uh, he just has an incredibly tacky wardrobe. So uh, in a recording studio, Weird Al lays down "I Love Rocky Road," produced by Rick Derringer, who was famous for um, doing the song "Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo." He's like a big musician. Um, in the industry uh, It was hard to get a record out Though because of the industry Itself uh, Al, uh, Weird Al said the huge irony of my life 
was it was difficult for me to get signed to a record deal back in the early 80s because all the executives were saying, oh, you do that novelty music. You're going to have maybe one hit if you're lucky, and then you'll go right in, right to oblivion. You know, nobody will ever hear from you again. And, of course, that would not end up being true. Uh, so Levy had to actually take I Love Rocky Road to KIQQ-FM, and they played it on the show, and the next day it was the most requested song. Mm-hmm by fans and it was exactly the leverage that they needed they did uh uh they end up being able to cut an album um and uh an eponymous album uh, yes what self-titled yeah i mean it's, yeah it's just called weird Al Yankovic. yes and uh the album cover is kind of awesome so i would suggest checking it out it was done by brazilian artist uh Ro- rogerio uh, mainly because it had that mad magazine style that that he could do that very well and uh of course weird Al, huge mad magazine fan as one would be uh if you were weird Al back in the late 70s everybody loves a good mad magazine right? exactly um, so it was a hit on Top 40 Radio, and Yankovic ends up signing with Scotty Brothers Records um, to release that self-titled album. And that album had the song Ricky breaking the Top 100 videos on MTV. <laughs> oh, Ricky, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Ricky. Oh, like, oh Lucy, you're so fine. You're so fine. I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. You get it? It's I about, mean, I, I, I mean, love if, Lucy. If we're going that the joke is old TV, I prefer... Money for nothing, Beverly Hillbilly. <laughs> yes, dude. And you know the actual guy played guitar. Oh, yeah. Song. I know Mark Knopfler played the guitar. <laughs> he loved it so much. He was like, I just, just let me play guitar in it. And there's a lot, of, we're going to get into stories like that of celebrity musicians. We who got were, to move to Beverly. Who, who were like so supportive Hills, of what is. he was doing that they even wanted to get in on it yeah. themselves. Um, so. The self-titled album does all right, um, not not super super big, but then he comes out with Weird Al Yankovic in 3D, um, again produced by Rick Derringer. Rick Derringer is going to end up being the producer for the next handful of albums. Um, I love the song Midnight Star on it. Uh, actually, it was about the tabloid, and most of those tabloid headlines that he sings in the song are real. Um, <laughs> He spent several weeks collecting and looking through old tabloids to find inane titles. And, of course, really probably the song that, I mean, all of these, these were like, you know, I Love Rocky Road and um, My Bologna and um, another one, uh, Rides the Bus. They were all kind of like nice little hits for him, but I don't think it was really until Eat It um, and Michael Jackson being so cool about giving him permission for Eat It that really, really put him into the major, major mainstream, especially with the shot-for-shot remake uh, parody of uh, Michael Jackson's music video. Yeah, if you can uh, play the video for uh, Eat It, it's kind of amazing that this is where it started. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Actually, do we have... He's gumped, he's gumped. Did you put her up to this? Oh, God. I'm dying right now. What? Um, Here's the thing. When an artist revolutionizes the game so hard, it's kind of I love this. You're talking about this is like the album for me, actually. (laughs) Bad Hair Day was like the album. Um, All right. Do we got a little eat it? Well, don't you know that other kids are starting in Japan, so eat it. You know, re-listening to this song like right before I came over here, every line is so perfectly a parody of that song. Like, it's so smart. Like, the, the rhymes, the rhyme schemes, everything is so well done. There's not, like, a repeating joke, I don't believe, in the whole thing. Yeah. And it's just about eating fucking food and how you should finish your food. 
It's so good. And the video is great. You gotta watch it. I mean, we're we're gonna name a lot of music videos that you'll probably need to like stop the podcast and just go watch because it's really phenomenal. And Michael Jackson apparently could not have been cooler about giving him the uh, uh, rights uh, for the song and really, in his opinion, opened up the floodgates for him getting rights from other big artists. It was really Michael Jackson being so cool, and he and he said it was attributed to Michael Jackson's wonderful sense of humor uh, that he was allowed to do His that. almost childlike sense <laughs> of humor, right, you would say. It's okay. But uh, no, MTV was super clutch right now. You know, it was this emerging, I think we kind of dabbled with it during our like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network uh, kind of era, Fred Siebert kind of deal that, uh, you know, MTV was this incredibly new way of branding content uh, directed directly towards you know youth and rebellion. And what better for Weird Al, where we we don't just get the musical parody, but we get a visual parody as well mm-hmm. of of all of this music. It just doubles down on the jokes, triples down on the jokes. Oh, the yeah, the videos are incredibly well done pieces of visual comedy. Absolutely, that uh, work with the song and. I just music needed that release valve. Right, totally. And uh, so, what do you know about Al TV? I didn't get a lot on Al TV. I remember it was as aired a on kid. MTV and VH1. I know mm-hmm. that, and it was sort of like Al taking over MTV, making fun of MTV, and like mm-hmm. um, uh, people like hosts on that show and everything. Yeah, I remember a lot of sketches that like I wish were a little bit tighter. <laughs> yeah, and and he def- but one cool thing he definitely but it was just you got to watch all of your favorite Weird Al videos. He definitely did like the Space Ghost thing like before Space Ghost, oh, where yeah. he did the fake interviews with with celebrities, canned interview footage that he mm-hmm. would insert himself into, mm-hmm. and then um, fake the- commercials. I always liked his fake commercials. And after that, the mockumentary came out, the Complete Al, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a really one. I watched little clips of it, and it's pretty great. It's pretty hilarious. Um, it was uh, a mockumentary documentary about his life and it was written by him and directed by Jay Levy who would end up directing you know UHF and things like that which we'll get into um, and it's kind of cool because they mix in actual facts about his life like growing up in Linwood his parents are actually in the film um, but then it's all mixed in with like crazy insane bullshit um, and there was a book that came out around the time too called The Authorized Owl to accompany the film and I definitely want to go find that and that's kind of like a scrapbook um, the whole thing was produced by Robert K. Weiss who uh, also produced Kentucky Fried Movie, which is a huge influence on Weird Al growing up, and uh, Blues Brothers. Um, and so this is all before the album, his next album, Dare to be Stupid. Which once, uh, yeah, once Eat It kind of broke through and kind of gave him a foothold in the mass media, uh, Dare to be Stupid kind of elevated him to a legit pop star. Yeah, and uh, Dare to be Stupid is also the name of a song that is, in my opinion, one of his best um, style parodies, as they are referred to, where it's not a direct parody of any one song, but he actually just takes the style of another artist and kind of makes a goofy song using their kind of basic um, sound. And uh, we actually have some Dare to be Stupid here. Uh, uh, So do we want to get some of that? You can dare to be stupid. I'm so expecting gum. No, no. I was ready for it. And now it's going to happen when I'm not ready for it. <laughs> it's funny because um, this is a really great album. I might, this yeah, might be one of my I favorites. I like this album a lot. Um, another style parody on this one that's amazing is This Is The Life, yeah. which oddly enough is was actually the theme to the movie Johnny Dangerously uh-huh. starring Michael Keaton. And it's gen- it kind of highlights his like talent as a vocalist and as like a, a song arranger mm-hmm. 
because like it's it's genuinely pleasant. It's funny. It's jaunty. Um, it's uh, Megan. Can you play? Uh, it's I, I I don't know. It's just it's this one like hits home for me. <laughs> it's very it's aged really well. Here's the thing is It sounds like a parody of like newer music. It's timeless. <laughs> it really sounds more like kind of the old nineties, like more even than the <laughs> uh there's also like a surgeon, which was like a surgeon, which is so good. And by the way, the, you know the you know we, do we all know the 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 funny story about like a surgeon that what Madonna herself was like? <laughs> when was Weird Al gonna do a parody of like a virgin, but called like a surgeon as and a throwaway like, joke about how lame his puns are? <laughs> and Weird Al was like, hell yeah, I'm gonna do that. And it's literally the only time ever that an artist gave him a parody idea and that he didn't uh, come like up with a it surgeon. Like a surgeon rules. Like a surgeon is one of the best for the very first. This also has Yoda on it, um, which was actually written and recorded like five years before um, on accordion only back Mm -hmm. in college. But it took that long. It took five years. Of course it did to get George Lucas's and the Kinks uh, permission. to. Uh, It's a very personal song for Ray Davies. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's it finally took like Weird Al establishing himself as like a legitimate act. Well, you know, it's funny, too, though. Legend has it. And and this is a story that you're going to hear that we're going to have come back with other artists. Where it sounds more like the like powers that be were being dicks about it, but when Ray Davies actually found out that he wanted to make that song, he was like, "Yeah, go for it." <laughs> like that happens so much where the handlers think mm. that the artist is like beyond, like, "Oh no, they don't want that done. That's like an important work to them or whatever." <laughs> like they don't want Weird Al like messing with their stuff. And then like the artist always comes out and is like, "I'm like a huge Weird Al fan. <laughs> Fucking yeah, he can use the song. You know, like this is like one of the, this is how you know you've made it. You yeah. know, kind of a thing." Um, so yeah, uh, Yoda's fantastic. No, it's 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 it, he's he's going he's meteoric. He's rising to the top. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, girls just want to have lunch. Apparently, he begrudgingly wrote because they said he that he had to parody a Cindy Lauper song and like like the powers that be did, and he was like not as big of a fan of that. In the um. In the in the in the 1985 interview, uh, the author talks about how he uh, took uh, Weird Al to like one of those like legendary California like fancy celebrity restaurants, you know, like Brown Derby kind of shit, uh-huh. and how like nobody, you know, Sinatra was in the back, like nobody recognized him, nobody cared. He had to buy a suit from like the vintage store for ten dollars just to like have a jacket, <laughs> and then like they immediately went to a dive bar. Like nearby, and everyone immediately was like, "Oh fuck, it's Weird Al!" Like he was like such a, like, because he was part of the video generation, right? He was like so much more. Important. Well, that's the thing. He was, you know, it, it was because of the videos that he was like going platinum. Like it's mm-hmm. not like it was a radio play or anything like that. You know, it was really because of that stuff. And it wasn't because you know, and critics all kind of were like, "What?" Are, you know, like yeah. rolled their eyes at it and stuff. But really, the fans just loved it. Um, oh, oh, yeah. The song One More Minute was actually written uh, after a breakup that Weird Al was going through. And he literally, if you watch the video, he tears up a picture of the actual girl that he had broken up with. Um, so he decided, like, that was one of the first times where he took pain and sort of wrote through it. Um, then he hits a bit of a rut. Uh, Here comes the unfortunate pa- uh, uh, the, 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 the cycle of Weird Al, which yes. is after a couple of songs, you're like, okay, Weird Al. We get it. Right. So (laughs) he comes out with Poker Party. He's also, though, by the way, 
like a work machine. So that's what's unfortunate about that. You know, I think if he was the kind of guy that was only releasing a, an album every like three to five years, it'd be very different. But I mean, this dude was putting out albums like once a year, um, really hitting it hard. Um, so uh, Poker Party has some highlights. I love Here's Johnny. Um, Living with a Hernia was uh, eh. uh, trying to be the big s- single off of the album. Living with a Very hernia. expensive video on that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it. What's Meanwhile, I feel like Christmas at Ground Zero is really the heart of the album. Christmas, it is the heart of the album. Unfortunately, it was hard to get it played on the radio because <laughs> apparently, as uh, according to Weird Al, most people are not wanting to hear about nuclear annihilation during the holiday season. <laughs> and then after 9-11, made it even worse for that song. Um, and there's Doggy Dog and Talking Heads parody um, about his old mailroom job. Um and all that, all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. Poker Party kind of uh, was a was a critical and commercial failure. And Weird Al said, "I thought it was the end of my career." He took all of 1987 off, mm-hmm. but then, uh, as Weird Al tends to do over and fucking over again, he comes out with even worse. Which is again part of like he just all he, all Weird Al has to do to maintain relevancy is just step away for a year or two and then, wait for a new generation to like get obsessed with pop music and then reintroduce himself. And then talk to Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, goes to Michael Jackson again for permission to record Fat. That was uh, really his. <laughs> I love talking. When so I go though. out to get my mail, it's so good. It shows up on the Rick scale. <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, ham on ham on whole wheat. Michael Jackson was so into giving him permission to record fat that he even let him use the subway set from his video. In Yankovic's video, um, he literally Yankovic later presented Michael Jackson with a gold record of even worse <laughs> after it sold over five hundred thousand copies. Jackson Michael Jackson was so pleased with the song and the video that he ordered twelve copies to give to his friends. Which is weird because every like the true gentleman knows that my, 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 my lasagna is really the better single off the album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the video was a huge hit, um, just massive and a really brought Weird Al back uh, in a huge, huge way and gave him the ability to make the massive blockbuster hit UHF. Just huge in um, 1989. Starring David Bowie, Fran Drescher, Victoria Jackson, Michael Richards, Emo Not Phillips. that David Bowie. It's important to <laughs> <laughs> And many, many more. Um, Weird Al, I love the way you do the things. <laughs> Jay Levy. I'm very androgynous. Weird Al kiss Part of me. Jay Levy uh, co-wrote the screenplay and directed with uh, Weird Al as the star. Um, It was actually written back in Weird Al in 3D. uh, The story of how it got produced is kind of insane. He, like, you know, uh, him and his his producer, Jay, uh, went everywhere to every studio. It took every meeting they could, could not get it made. And then, like, by some happenstance, like, I forget. I, I had all my notes, but basically th- these producers that made like movies that were super serious, like th- that were like, you know, indie art housey kind of like uh, d- downers. They just were uh, made a lot of downers. Uh, were just so like enamored with the idea of this goofy ass script that they like just needed to get it made. Right. And uh, it, it uh, yeah, they did it with what Orion Pictures 
really like up and coming, um, heavily inspired by the secret life of Walter Mitty. People love UHF. Mm-hmm. Can we just talk about that? People like love, it became this huge cult classic. I was of course joking when I said it was a big blockbuster hit because it came out during one of the most insane summers for American film ever. I mean, oh, there, there's uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, Lethal, Lethal Weapon Lethal 2. Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, um, those are the three that I wrote down, but there was like so License to Kill. Uh, what was um, what was uh, Spike Lee's big one? Uh, uh, do the right thing. Yeah, do the right it thing. It was it was one of the most insane <laughs> summers for film, like in this country. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And UHF, of course, got swallowed up in it. It later became a huge hit. At one point, um, uh, VHS copies were so sought after of the film they were selling them for like hundred dollars a pop before it finally came, they released it on DVD. It it just it just blew up kind of uh, underneath everything. But of can course, I, can I not share a success a uh, mm-hmm. little bit, I guess this is kind of a, uh, almost a uh, Wizard and the Bruiser tradition right now. Yeah, is this you sharing embarrassing stuff? No, no, no. Oh. What? Uh, I thought it was going to be embarrassing, like your no. pants falling down or whatever. No, that, hey, first of all, that is for Patreon that is bonus, bonus content. <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> for the free listeners, I have lived my life with impeccable dignity and grace, and my pants have never fallen down That's in front so of the good. mayor. Just another reason to get that bonus content on Patreon. No, Same I would like to share. story about his pants falling down. It's literally the greatest... <laughs> Moment of my it's, life. It's worth the five dollars. <laughs> but I would like no. I would like our other our other tradition, Holden. Yes. Of uh, sharing a Roger Ebert review where he shits all over the thing we yes, love. Yes, <laughs> please, please. This is from a nineteen. This is from July twenty first, nineteen eighty nine. Roger Ebert's one star review of UHF. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Yankovic also has a problem with his leading actor himself. He doesn't have the edge and confidence he needs to carry a movie like this, and his physical presence is undermined by bad posture and an indistinct speaking voice. He needs to practice throwing back his shoulders and strutting. He creates a dispirited vacuum at the center of many scenes. The result is a very unfunny movie. I did not record a single laugh during the running time of this film, and although I admittedly saw the movie at a press screening and not on a Saturday matinee in the multiplayer at the mall, I wonder how many laughs will be there when the movie does go public. It's routine, <laughs> predictable, and dumb. Real dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. <laughs> you jacking apes. I need to go back and watch it. I meant to watch it again before this uh, episode. I also, I had a choice last night to like do last minute cramming of like his actual life or, or watch just watch UHF and I flipped a coin. I feel like we could do like some kind of bonus something where we like talk Wheel about just UHF. Of fish. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's so good and it's so nerdy, uh, comically nerdy and wonderful and ridiculous and kind of fucked up. Like, kind of, there's a lot of dark humor in there and stuff. That's what's always been great about Weird Al is like, there's between, but behind all the goofy corniness and whatever, um, there's some really like fun kind of dark humor he plays. Oh, yeah, with. yeah. Um, so he, with that flop, oh, by the way, that is the final um, album that was uh, recorded by producer Rick Derringer. And in the studio, there definitely starts to become a rift. Essentially, Weird Al stops listening to Rick Derringer's notes. He really starts to become much more of a control freak about the recording process and decides that, you know, moving forward, he'll just do the stuff himself. Um, that, that it was really time for him to kind of break out and become his own man in the studio. Now, he rightly so, smartly so, takes like a few years off after the failure of UHF. Um, we get it, Al. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. 
Uh, but this is like one of his bigger comebacks that he's had uh, right here. Um, recorded between June 1990 and January 1992, uh, he was putting together what would become Off the Deep End, which was kind of more where my consciousness, like I actually remember. I mean, I guess I had seen like you the were video watching for MTV. Fat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I guess I had seen the video for Fat maybe and stuff like that. But I think this album is really the album where I was like, oh, who's this guy? Um, <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about the white stuff yeah yeah the white stuff it's oh, got oh, well originally oh, first of all like oh, he oh rios he knew he had to come back in big. the middle <laughs> the, the white stuff. stuff he knew he had to come back big right he knew he needed like a huge hit to hang his head on he wasn't quite finding it yet he approaches michael jackson when he's coming out uh after hearing uh the huge hit single black or white this is around that time if you remember that um yankovic approaches michael jackson about it and uh, he wants he wants to do a parody called Snack All Night, <laughs> another food based Michael Jackson parody. I'm so glad that Jackson put his foot down on this because not because I think that that song like needs you know it should be held with like this on this pedestal, but more so because I just think that that would have been a huge misstep doing a food based another yeah, yeah. food based Michael old, Jackson old hat. Yeah, we get totally. it. Now. So um uh, also the the message of racial equality inherent in the song and the cutting edge yes. morphing tech. Technology yes, in the that video. morphing technology. So, although Michael Jackson was a big supporter of his work, he felt that a parody might damage the song's message. Listen, listen now, I think it's a great idea, but unfortunately, there's a lot of heat on me right now, and the feds might be listening. So, I'm gonna, you know, you just go ahead and just not do this song. Okay, sure. <laughs> we are two normal people having a conversation. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I think he talks at all times. Uh, so then he produ- uh, approaches the um, writer of Live and Let Die, Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. leader of Wings, with a parody <laughs> idea entitled Chicken Pot Pie. Another food-based <laughs> parody. Now, McCartney, big supporter of Yankovic, but he said, you, you know what? You know what, old weirdo? We're, I'm a vegetarian. No, I don't think we should be having songs about meat. Celebrating the eating of flesh. Eating of fleshy flesh. And Yankovic, a fellow vegetarian, said, yeah! (laughs) Sorry about that. I know you have to deal with the levels there on that, Meg. He tells the story in live concerts all the time where he claims that he could have kept pursuing it, but he feels the song... Uh, tofu pot pie would not have been as catchy. No, not as not have been as good. But that's when Nirvana gets their big, huge hit, Smells Like Teen Spirit. And uh, with the uh, accompanying music video, with the accompanying Seattle grunge sound. Yes, all of it. The 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 the, the tectonic shift in music at the time. Popular music at the time. And uh, Weird Al said, I wanted to make sure that when I came back after the long hiatus, it was with something strong. And it wasn't until Nirvana that I felt I had a real contender. Fuck yeah, you did. Now, uh, Victoria Jackson, who starred in UHF, was his gateway to Kurt Cobain. He, uh, Nirvana was performing on SNL. Victoria Jack- Through Victoria Jackson, he got Kurt Cobain on the phone. Uh, Cobain to- said, totally, it was all good. But Cobain did ask, is it going to be about food? And Yankovic <laughs> said, no, I assure you it won't be. It's about how no one can understand your lyrics. And he thought that was hilarious. So um, they ended up coming out with Smells Like Nirvana. Uh, let's get a listen to that, actually, real quick before we continue talking of it. Now, this one's interesting because I feel like this is the first time a major hit 
went right for the jugular of right. the artist. Totally. And I feel like it's a little bit of Weird Al getting older, his suburban like upbringing. Right. He, he's like starting to be like these kids in their rock and roll music a yeah, little bit. Yeah, like a little bit. Like he's but taking in the a piss hilarious out. way. This yeah. is such a smart, funny. He's taking the piss song. out of him. Yeah. But it, it's still that disconnect. His his like lame life. Right. With the ex, with the excesses of what music presents. But as isn't reality. that perfect for grunge? Like if if he's gonna take the piss out of any musical yeah. style, the coolest people about doing that yeah. would be the people who make grunge music. Yes. Like they're always taking the piss out of themselves, like in a lot of ways, you know? Like so it was a really good time for him to actually take that turn and, and go with that. And off the deep end becomes a big hit uh record for him. Uh, it, it, you know, it was the perfect way for him to come back into the into the music scene. Of course, um, was it Dave Grohl? I believe said that he was like so pleased that uh, Weird Al did a musical parody of one of their songs. He was like, you know, you really made it when Weird Al does uh, yeah. uh, uh, one of your songs. So, and and again, like he's an he's it's it kind of cemented him as not just like a an artist but an institution. Mm-hmm. And I remember now the next album. I really remember being in like every record store, like right in the front. <laughs> Because it had that Jurassic Park logo. Of course, I'm talking about Alapalooza. Mm-hmm. It was massive. Uh, it was really everywhere. It has the... I skipped this one for some reason. Really? Yeah, I didn't. Oh, it's got Bedrock Anthem. Fuck, can we hear some Bedrock <laughs> Anthem? I can we do that real quick? Actually, uh, yeah, Megan, if you can go ahead and play Bedrock music, that would be great. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like... And this album came out before Lump. And that's the crazy thing about it. Here's the thing, Weird Al Yankovic isn't really a songwriter or a parody artist. He is a vessel, a soothsayer, through which we get to experience. Now, do we have do we have some actual uh, actual bedrock anthem, please? Yabba dabba yabba dabba yeah, yabba. It's awesome. Now. I used to, uh, that was one of my. It's fav- a it's a twofer, right? Because Give It Away Now and uh, uh, Under the Bridge. Are, yeah, I yeah. think it starts as Under the Bridge. The and then city it, I live in, the, the city, city of bedrock. So good. Well, my buddy uh, Pat, um, I think it was around the time that he he got. Oh right, and it starts with a Blind Melon parody. Yes. No, no. no. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh. And my my buddy Pat, I think it's around this time that that box set came out, or it was maybe uh. a little before that. Um, and we were just became obsessed with Weird Al, like really, really into it, especially from a musical perspective, as we were like in a band and stuff. And I I, I haven't really talked about this yet, but sometimes I feel like. <laughs> the only like caveman, the city of bed. The only like like he's able to capture music styles. Now we've talked. He's gone from the mid seventies through now yeah. to the nineties, perfectly nailing all of these musical styles. That's fucking hard to do, and a testament to him and his musicians. Um, is I think it's only it's it's after Weird Al in, in 3D that he stops playing accordion on every song, mm-hmm. um, and and it's like his his guitarist, his his drummer, his bassist, like they are able to chameleon their asses through so many different the riff styles. For, on Eat It, I mean the the rift on Michael Jackson's Beat It was originally done by Eddie Van Halen. Oh wow! And his band were able to reproduce it. Uh, it's it's an it's a weird side effect that being a weird kid that gets into Weird Al uh, 
unintentionally just exposes you to like a perfect arc of the history of popular music yeah, like right before you were born. And that's what we loved about that box set cuz um not only did it did it really give you that um I think it was it's called like Al in a Box or something like that. Uh once like like getting that box set that it was like the four we were just listening to that. I think he made me tapes of all of it and we would just listen to that like all the way through over and over again and talk about and like it also exposed us to all of his like originals and stuff and all of his like stuff oh and we didn't even talk about the polka medleys which are fucking awesome like um I, it's almost it almost they exist they're great and yeah yeah i love them i think there's i listened to a bunch of them over the past few days and like i'm like i forget how just fucking it's the one on bad hair day is the one that has nine inch nails <laughs> yeah and um there's a rolling stones one that's mm. really good like really good. I was like kind of blown away. So, anyways, um, Alapalooza huge has Bread Brock Anthem again taking the piss out of a song with Achy Breaky Song, and he felt it was so harsh uh, that song that all the proceeds from that song went to a charity because he felt like he kind of went a little overboard with how mean it was. Achy Breaky Song is like all the things he'd rather do than listen to the song. And next comes the album that I had like on repeat. And yeah, this it was time like, he was smart enough to take two years off. Mm-hmm. He he understood his cycle now. This this album was the one that I like wore it out, mm-hmm. and then probably didn't listen to Weird Al again for like a decade. You know, yeah. uh, Bad Hair Day, of course, having has uh, Amish Paradise and Gump. Um, you may have heard that song before. Oh, uh, can we get a little bit can of we get a, a little Gump? Amish Paradise or Gump? Can we get Either some one? Gump? He's gump. He's gump. He's gump. I was waiting for something else. Uh, it's so groovy. It's very. It's honestly. Of course, lumped by uh, President of the United States of America. Less, it's less of a song, and I would call it more of a hymnal. Right. You I know, would say so. I mean, I feel closer to Jesus. You can hear Weird Al's religious dedication because this song, like, gets you a, just that much closer to God. So this album led to a bunch of really weird uh, controversy with Coolio. Uh, Yankovic, of course, made the song Amish Paradise off of Gangster's Paradise, uh, the song, uh, the big song from the film Dangerous Minds. Mm-hmm. About like the education system for like kids and like the ghetto and things like that. It was very like self serious song. I mean, what, yeah, it's about the inescapable. Uh, oh, do you have it? Okay, uh, it's. <laughs> I was waiting for Gangsta's Paradise and like, yeah, it is a little bit. <laughs> it's so good. I loved this video so much. It's hilarious, and. Um, uh, Coolio, uh, like Amish became such a punchline around that time. Is I think also, um, what's the name of that movie with the Amish? Uh, oh, uh, Witness. The bowling movie with the Amish. Oh, 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 Kingpin. Kingpin, and like I feel like Amish was such a go-to during like that part of the nineties. Um, I mean, they were early two thousands. I think yeah. rather maybe. Um. So so, uh, Coolio comes out and says that Weird Al Yankovic has never asked permission to, to record the parody, um, which, of course, is very upsetting to Weird Al, who has kind of made it a point, if we haven't really stated this before, but he makes it a really, he doesn't have to do this, and he makes it a big point to go out and get permission from every artist that he makes a parody of their song for. Um, he made a statement at the Grammys, there's that press conference, if you want to look it up, or he, he says... That Coolio he not, throws legit passive-aggressive shade. Yeah, yeah, he says he did not appreciate Yankovic desecrating his song, Weird Al um, had written a sincere letter of apology to Coolio, which was never returned, and that Coolio never complained when he... Re- and then he said in an interview, Coolio never complained when he received his royalty checks from proceeds of the song. But apparently later, they made amends. Apparently, Coolio kind of, like, got his head right about the whole thing. He even says, like, yeah, I was being kind of a dick. 
You know, like he well, talks he talks about it in later interviews. He's like, yeah, I was kind of, I was being like an ass. A little bit later, asshole. he like there's some friction with him and Eminem, and there's almost like there's something to be said about like having your entire persona be about like your authenticity, right? Being like, haha, no, my incredibly troubled like past and the issues I'm talking about are goof em ups, right? Right. I mean, I kind of get where he's coming from at this at the same time. I mean, I, I, oh. again, I think it's like the greatest compliment to have your song parodied by Weird Al. Um, Calling in. Sick is maybe the best. <laughs> Calling in sick, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, is that that's off of a bad hair day? There's also the night Santa went crazy, a spiritual yes. successor to yes. Christmas at Ground Zero. Totally great. Uh, the alternative polka, which was uh, the, mm-hmm. uh, the the medley of alternative. Uh, the you bring polka. me closer to God. Now at um, uh, yeah, poodle and, had tanks. Now, uh, now Weird Al goes through a bit of an image change. Uh, he undergoes LASIK eye surgery to correct his extreme myopia. Uh, this is in 1998. And then he grew out his hair. He loses the mustache. And this is around the time where I depart from Weird Al, like like listening to Weird Al for the years The boners become years. so frequent yes. that they are impossible to ignore. <laughs> and you were like, Weird Al, you have served me well. Unfortunately, I'm trying to touch a boob. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> childish he, things. So be. the songs on Running Running with Scissors uh, uh, is the next album, and uh, its big hits are The Saga Begins, the American oh, Pie God. parody of Star Wars Episode One. which It's I not ju- even a parody. It's I just, just a fucking commercial it. for the fucking yeah. movie. That, that actually was super... That I think that might have... Um, that might have killed it for me. That might have been what, like, chopped me off from... Uh, is that he was, like, singing just the plot of... Episode one. Right. Well, also, Pretty Fly for a Rabbi both felt like a little too similar to Amish Paradise while also being like, Pretty Fly for a White Guy is like a lame. Already a novelty song. Yeah, it's already kind of a lame comedy song. So, like, you're parodying. Oh, God, I just really, yeah. Yeah. Pretty Fly for, wait, Pretty Fly for a White Guy is just a weird out, like, oh, it's funny if you apply a serious musical style with lame suburban Caucasian acid. Right, right. But I think Running With Scissors did pretty well for him. Poodle Hat, I think, wasn't um, as big for him. It's all about the Pentiums was a singular great (laughs) song about the dot com. That's amazing. Uh, But there are on Poodle Hat, there are performances from Ben Folds and Dweezil Zappa. One of the songs is, is parodying the style of Ben Folds, mm-hmm. um, of which he said, Ben and I are old friends at this point. And of course, I saw his keyboard work for that song. So he came in and knocked it out. I think it's in F sharp. So he was kind of mad at me for that. <laughs> also, uh, Dweezil Zappa helped him out with um, a parody of uh, Frank Zappa's stylings. Mm-hmm. And then comes straight out of Linwood. Again, don't know a shit ton about it, but it does have the song White and Nerdy on it. And I believe White and Nerdy by Chameleon Air, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. White and Nerdy was another uh, comeback for him, right? Mm-hmm. Another big, big comeback. This is his seventh comeback? <laughs> like, honestly. The cycle. The it's cycle, It's insane man. that he kept staying with it and kept coming back. So because, do we want to hear a little yeah, of yeah. White and Nerdy? Now, this is 2006, where, like, there's kind of that, like, emerging, like, nerd culture, Joss Whedon-y, Firefly, uh, like, web page. Like, the internet is becoming big. The internet is becoming dominant. In this song, he's talking about, like, you know, his ISP and MySpace. And um, amazingly, because he had fostered such a creative and a lot of free time audience, a lot of these songs ended up becoming like flash videos on like uh, Newgrounds and Albino Black Sheep and all these internet portals. Yeah. Uh, a very early YouTube was sharing a lot of these songs. Um, like it was less about MTV and his, 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 uh, he was becoming viral. 
Yes, and uh, and becoming kind of cool again. Chameleon Air loved the song. Said, uh, you know, uh, I can't believe how good that Duke of rap and like <laughs> talking about how again, you know, you're you know you're doing well if uh, Weird Al's parenting your stuff, which is fantastic. Um, then we uh, move on to Apocalypse. The main thing with Apocalypse mm. is again. Um, the whole story of, uh, you know, Lady Gaga's manager was a real dickhead about this, uh, about uh, his song performed this way. He wanted to get uh, Gaga's permission. Um, the manager came back and said she needs to read the full lyrics before giving approval. And then uh, she, and then they, they came back and said, OK, now she wants to hear an entire recorded version of the song. Um uh, and afterwards, uh, the manager said that Gaga denied permission in April 2011, which was really devastating for Weird Al. This was clearly his like big masthead song of the album. So in, instead, he posted to YouTube and other music sites indicating that he wished all sales proceeds go to the human rights campaign charity. Lady Gaga and staff realized they've never even heard the song. Uh, quickly gives permission and Lady Gaga even said she's like a giant Weird Al fan and, and didn't understand how this happened. Weird Al of course uh, famously said Twitter saved my album and this is another example of him immediately using the media movements around him aka social media at this point to like get himself um, through you know break break out in entertainment and do stuff. You now know? there's now this is what's kind of interesting is uh, Weird Al famously was involved in one of the most Intense recording contracts of all time, dating back to his uh, his original albums with the Scotty Brothers through like acquisitions and failures and fold-ins and mergers. He ended up working with uh, RCA, that then became Sony. And when all is said and done, like he was under a thirty-two year exclusive contract to release albums. Hmm. Now the thing about what had become of parody videos at this exact time was. People didn't work in albums. They worked in viral videos. Yes. And so while he was kind of like dormant and kind of like, you know, just reemerging every couple of years, parody songs became its own cottage industry. Like annoyingly so, like yeah. disgustingly so. Like Do we literally. Want to play this fucking awful song. I mean, I just wanted <laughs> to find the worst like example of shoddy YouTube. So um, parody songs with like millions of hits. This is uh, all about that based Thanksgiving song by the Who Gives a Fuck family. Yes. The wrong places. I see the magazines with all the recipes. My daughter, she could make it, but me. Uh, awful, uh, awful. It's the song. You know that uh, song you're listening to? It's but with different words. Uh, and, he, uh, and they're even doing it about food, but it's yeah, still yeah. infuriating. Yeah, it's so bad. Well, there's this shitty, cute family that lives in a nice big house. Yeah. They're the worst. So, uh, Weird Al was kind of done, at a disadvantage. Done, 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 done. Actually, uh, <laughs> Megan, if you can play, I, there's another shitty parody video. Uh, it's, this, it's, again, like, it's kind of insane that, like, Weird Al established this genre, paved the way, only to have, like, these amateurs eat his lunch like this. Yeah. Like it's it just pales in compare. Oh no no wait I'm sorry this is the greatest song ever recorded. <laughs> My mistake. Um. 
so he decides to at least like play the ball. The words right? rhyme, Holden. I I know. The song for the word from the song is like the word from the movie. It's so funny. It's like this Gump reoccurring joke is like Weird Al's career. Like I wasn't into it at first, then I got into it, and now I'm back to not being into it again. And maybe it can make one more comeback before the episode's over. And I'll be back into it, but I, I like hate it again. Maybe it's because of all that base parody, but I hate that again. That re- that joke. Uh, <laughs> so so Weird Al ends up getting in on um, on smartly on the whole YouTube craze with uh, mandatory fun, and this is also kind of being built up as his final album. I mean, it is. His contract was up. His contract was up, but he later stated that just meant his contract was up. That didn't necessarily mean it was his final album. But then he later is quoted to say, you know. Um, that that it that it would maybe yeah he said I wanted to really do what is ostensibly my last album with a big splash I wanted the first week to be big I wanted every single day of release week to be an event I wanted a video to go viral for an entire day and have people talking about that video and then the next day they're talking about a new video I just thought that would be a really fun way to do it so this was I remember this really clearly it mm-hmm. filled my heart with such joy and reminded me why how, why I love Weird Al so much was uh, his release of mandatory fun there were eight videos i believe um in his first week every day you got a new music video um it, it was they we were did all one great with, uh, college humor for a uh, foil that awesome. we were very proud of we thought we did the best one <laughs> by we i mean the la office that i barely ever talked to um you know he had it handy which i loved the iggy, iggy azalea also what's it called again the word um, crimes word crimes is so good and the video is great for that too um and it gave him his first ever number one album in the U.S. All these years later, it's how more of a is it's that? a little bit more of a damnation about how far the uh, U.S. record industry has fallen <laughs> than like a, a glorious testament to Weird Al. But yes, it's it counts as a win. I also loved hearing this about his process, which I found while researching this album. Yankovic noted that his usual method of generating parody ideas is to scan Billboard charts, radio play, and online buzz in order to create a master list of candidates. Mm-hmm. From that point. He works out possible puns on the song titles, the potential for humor and general direction for his version. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He works kind of from the title in. Um, and oh, uh, in the 2000s, he finally got married. Yes, he gets and married. He had a, and he had a kid who's and, like currently like close to 14, I think. And then his parents died. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I just... Yeah. Wanted to be, I'm just being that was 2004, though. 2004, uh, on April 9, 2004, uh, Weird Al Yankovic's parents were found dead in their Fallbrook, California home. The worst fucking way ever. The victims of an accidental carbon monoxide poisoning from their fireplace. Just one of those useless kind yep. of ridiculous. I thought, for some reason, I thought it was a car crash. And then reading that, I'm just like, that is so painful. That's mm-hmm. got to be so painful. He, of course, had a very loving, wonderful relationship with his parents. Um, Yankovic ended up going on stage several after hours after his wife notified him about his parents' death. Um, And it really helped him out to do that a little bit. He said, since my music had helped many of my fans through tough times, maybe it would work for me as well. And that it would at least give me a break from sobbing all the time. If I didn't have anything to distract me, I probably would have spiraled into an even deeper depression. For a couple of hours each night, I could go on stage and put on a big fake smile and pretend like everything was just okay. Um... In a 2014 interview, Yankovic called his parents' death the worst thing that has ever happened to me, um, and uh, that uh, I knew intellectually that at some point probably I'd have to, you know, live through my the death of my parents, but I never thought it would be at the same time and so abruptly. It's so painful, but it's kind of amazing that he 
worked through it with his own music and with his fans. Um, I think that's like a really beautiful thing. So that would be the one, that would be the one dark point in the behind the music. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was literally the only moment that was sad. And usually everybody else's behind the music was like, I'm dying of heroin. No, uh, doing the research for this, uh, I found out that, and now I'm like super jazzed. His upcoming tour is going to be yes. without the band, yes. no costume changes, all original songs, just him and the accordion. We didn't even talk about his concerts and how incredible they are. He yeah. does. He has like uh, like twenty different costume changes. They are huge productions. I remember my buddy uh, Pat back in high school. He had the choice of either going to see Eminem or going to see Weird Al. And back in the day, I was like, "Dude, you made the dumbest choice ever." Because he went and saw Weird Al. But then he told me he was like, "It was the best show I've ever seen. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible. The costume changes, everything. They were so amazing." And now looking back, I'm like, "Oh, he totally made the right decision." Uh, and I'm so jealous. I haven't been to a Weird Al show yet. I might go to this one, even though it'll be quite different. The, his special guest is Emo Phillips, and it's called the Weird Al Yankovic, the ridiculous, self-indulgent, ill-advised vanity tour. No frills, obscure songs, limited commercial appeal, lower your expectations. <laughs> um, oh. And I think that's awesome. And and uh, yeah, I would, I definitely want to go try to see that. And I definitely want to go try to also see his like tour proper if he continues to do it. But he is known for being an incredible showman. Yeah. Incredible showman. Um, all right. Anything else? Uh, there's always going to be a 11 through 15 year old who is just just like loves the sounds and the music and like wants to take part in popular culture but gosh darn it they're talking about all this stuff that he just honestly does not understand and his mom is calling him because it's dinner time and it's mashed potatoes night and god damn it I love mashed potatoes this random kid <laughs> and weird al is going to be there for him and there's nothing wrong with that yeah just like he was there for all of us um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. That was a, a, a big, largely requested one, and that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we didn't no, even, I still. We didn't even all right, I like it, it again a little. I like it a little bit. I like it a little bit. I like the joke. Sl- all right, fine. Okay, fine. I'll go with it. Uh, check me out on Twitch, Holdnator's Ho. Please follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young and subscribe to Dorkly on YouTube. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com. Bonus uh, episodes every week. Bonus episodes every week, and I will show up and I will call you a good person <laughs> uh, if you do it. So thank you so much, everybody, and have a good one. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.